Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. On this episode, we have Mike Stella, ATC, who is owner and operator of the Movement Underground, his own uh, clinic, basically, running as an athletic trainer, and that is a huge topic in this podcast. He is also an instructor for Rock Tape, so we will also hear more about how that has gone and what it is like providing continuing education back to everybody. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Uh, again, they're always, especially now, looking to do giveaways and special offers, so give them a follow on all social media for a chance to win. Um, some really good stuff. Highly recommend it because anytime you can get that to add to your budget uh, is always useful. Uh, without further ado, uh, enjoy this episode with Mike Stella. Welcome to this episode of AT Chat presented by Mueller Sports Medicine. Today we are here with Mike Stella. He is an athletic trainer, manual therapist, rock tape instructor, um, also owner of the Movement Underground. Um, I'll just give you a little background on how we connected. Um, about a year or so ago, Mike was in Wisconsin um, teaching a rock tape course, and that's how we first met. Um, kind of connected there, started following him on social media and some of the stuff that he's doing. And then decided we're in the middle, kind of in the middle of that corona outbreak. So things are kind of strange at this time, a lot more free time. And, you know, decided what now is the perfect time to connect a little bit more and kind of hear from him, hear his story. A lot of interesting things we'll talk about today. So, um, Mike, I'll give it away to you if you just want to give talk a little bit about your background in athletic training, kind of where you came from and where you are now. Uh, sure. Well, first off, uh, Austin and Greg, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And like we were kind of talking about, like anytime I can give back to athletic training, uh, the profession, I feel like that's a great opportunity to do so. And obviously, lots of things changing right now. The landscape of healthcare is even starting to see a big shift. And, and so obviously we can start to take advantage of that as athletic trainers ourselves. Um, I mean, you know, my background and my, my kind of origin story, uh, I actually have my own podcast as well. So the first episode was really like an hour long, just kind of going really deep into that story. Cause I do tell it in bits and chunks. And so I'll give you guys the synopsis here, but if you guys are, if anybody's really interested in hearing the full shebang, you can head over to the movement underground radio and, and check that one out. But, um, basically started in athletic training the same way a lot of athletic trainers start, which was with a personal injury, you know? Uh, so mm -hmm. I was a lacrosse player in high school, ended up blowing out the knee. So I had an ACL, PCL, MCL tear, meniscus tear, uh, tibial plateau fracture. Um, just so, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be uh, R rated here, but it was not a good scenario for my, my knee. Uh, and so I definitely was still wanting to play lacrosse and Marist college was the last division one school that, was willing to give me any money uh, and a roster spot and they happen to have an athletic training program. So I guess it was serendipitous in that way that I switched my major from, I was going to kind of, I was thinking about going into like more like engineering or architecture or something like that. 
uh, to, to sports medicine and athletic training. And I really never looked back. So, you know, that's how I got into it. You know, I've worked at a lot of different levels. You know, I started out mostly working in the collegiate setting. I did the collegiate setting for about six years or so um, before I jumped into kind of like the private PT setting and then kind of hated that. And then that was really the genesis of what is now the moving underground. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so I guess we'll, that was a good segue into some of our questions and stuff. So Perfect. you said that you worked in the collegiate setting for a while. And right now, obviously, you kind of have your own thing, the moving underground. Um, mm-hmm. I guess what were some of the reasons why you kind of left that traditional collegiate setting for the private setting? Oh man, you know, it, it's one of those things that it's, it's really circumstantial. Uh, so, you know, I was working at, I was actually, I was the grad assistant at George Washington university. So I did my master's there uh, and I worked at the men's soccer and baseball programs. And I really wanted to stay. I really saw myself more in like that, like kind of like major D ones or professional sports was at the time, like my career goal. Um, and then on, you know, unfortunately, you know, around that same time, my mom was sick, you know, with cancer. And so, uh, I was looking for a way to get back to New York. Um, and so had an opportunity to work at, uh, LIU Brooklyn at the time, which was a small mid-major D1. And it was a job that got me back to New York and it was really low paying job. And, um, you know, but I still had a you know passion for manual therapy. I still really wanted to kind of take that big school approach to athletic training. And what it ended up doing was just kind of really burning me out. Um, and I just started getting really frustrated because I was like bartending to basically fund my career. Um, so I was making more ni- I was making more money bartending four nights a month than I would as an athletic trainer full time to work like sixty to eighty hours a week. Um, so I really just got burnt out, you know, and I just got like really, you know, I'm starting to see, you know, I was in my mid twenties at the time, a lot of my friends, they're starting to get married and buy houses and they're starting to get those big promotions at their job and like their lives are seemingly coming together. And again, at, at the time, I think I was more in that mindset of kind of like comparing what other people have or, or what they were doing. And that really made me feel bad about myself. Um, and kind of where I was at career wise and career prospect wise. And so I ended up just taking a, a job in a physical therapy clinic because it was just regular hours, you know, kind of that classic nine to five, actually at, at the time my hours were one to 8 PM. So all of a sudden I was making a little bit more money, like more reasonable money. Uh, and I was working like a normal schedule or you know, something where I could actually have hobbies and do other stuff outside of just work. And so um, I think that was the allure, but then, you know, it just wasn't fulfilling really professionally at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just kind of being treated like the help. Um, you know, I was basically at, at the time, I was basically teaching some of these PTs that I was working with, like manual therapy and corrective exercise and kind of more like the performance aspect of stuff. And, you know, so I had a really good role there and I loved the therapists that I work with. I really, you know, at that experience was awesome for a lot of reasons, but, um, it just kind of made me feel like, man, I have this knowledge. I have this skill set, which is not being utilized to its potential. Um, and so what ha- ended up happening was a lot of PT patients, as they were getting discharged from their insurance, were approaching me saying, like, hey, Mike, like you've helped me so much. Would there be any way to continue to do this and just maybe do it privately with you? And, and so basically, that's when I started like my personal training business, you know. And so I started seeing mm-hmm. these clients on the side, like they would join the gym and you know, I was training them and 
a lot of them are still dealing with pain and mobility issues. You know, usually a lot of these are like post-op scenarios. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, Hey man, like let's start, you know, I started mixing in some of the manual stuff that I was doing and getting great results. And that's kind of when I found like, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing, or this is what I would like to do. Um, and then from there just evolved into a side hustle that evolved into a business. So, uh, kind of really happened organically that way. No, that that's awesome to hear. And definitely burnout is one of those things where it's common for AT to talk about. I mean, you go on Twitter, you go on Instagram, all about that. I think we're starting to do a little bit better job of kind of addressing that. But like you said, sometimes a change of scenery is needed with that. But um, so I guess starting your own practice there, it's not something that's, or at least that I've seen that's super common with athletic trainers. I think right. you're you're the only one that I know of. So I guess, can you kind of talk about the process of starting your own practice there, some of the challenges you may have faced initially, and maybe some of them that you're still kind of working out right now? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, great question. I, I would like to just go back to that burnout thing for just one other thought. Um, and I think burnout is relative, you know, because I'm a guy that's really passionate about this and I love what I do. It's like, when people say like work-life balance, like to me, that's crap because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, this is my life. Like, this is what I love to do. This is, I love helping people. And so like for me, burnout really kind of happened more because of like the financial and social implications of being an athletic trainer and less about like the day-to-day work. So when I was at the university of Florida, it was not uncommon for me to work 80, 90, hundred hours a week. And I would not say at that point in my career, I was burnt out. I fucking loved it. Oops, sorry. That, that's the, the no filter. Yeah, good. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been told it's a sign of genius. Uh, I do sometimes curse. Um, you took my class and I yeah. really try not to. I'm trying to be PG-13, but it slips out sometimes. Um, so yeah, you know, again, I don't want people out there to think that like, oh man, athletic training is so prone to burnout. It really is relative because if you're in a great setting around great people, and you're not necessarily financially stressed or like that's not that important to you, then that's great. You know, it's a great profession. I love it for that reason. It's just when I moved back to New York and having to pay rent and my student loans and all these things, it was just so much stress to mm-hmm. not basically to, to work in your ass off. And then at the end of the month, have like negative money or no money to show for it. Um, so that was the hard part for me. Um, so going back to your question about kind of starting the business. I mean, you know, that was really the same exact scenario that I faced. I I, I was trying to do research and find other ATs that were doing what I wanted to do. Um, At the time, I was also considering going back to PT school. But, you know, that option wasn't very appealing because I was already having a lot of student loan debt. And it, I didn't really love the idea of going back to school for three more years to basically do the same thing that I'm doing now. Um, and so like, it didn't, I didn't feel like that was going to return a ton on that investment to just do it for the sake of being able to practice under a different title. Um, and I think that's the biggest issue with athletic training is this whole idea that we're like in a subservient role to other healthcare providers. And still we, until we stop accepting that as the norm and as the status quo, I don't know if this profession is going to necessarily move in the direction that a lot of us want to see it go. Um, so I, I was reaching out to some people. I did find a couple of athletic trainers in New York city that were doing something similar. 
Um, they didn't really have a lot to offer me in terms of like advice though. So I just started like, you know, I read the entire New York state practice act, nothing really there in terms of like private practice. It was very, it wasn't, I mean, it was basically not defined at all. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think a lot of it was because that practice act is now nearing 30 years old. And that wasn't even something that was really being considered when that was written originally. So, you know, I didn't really have a place to, to go in terms of like getting this information. I called the state licensing board three times, spoke to three different people and got three different answers. Um, I started calling the NATA and there was really no answer there. They told me like, you can't have a business because you can't hire your boss. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like all your, the team, the doctor is your boss. You can't hire your own boss. I'm like, uh, nowhere in any athletic training agreement at a secondary school, collegiate setting, professional setting, industrial setting, is it written that that person has to be your boss? It just has to be a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. A referral based relationship. Um, And so, or like having that hierarchy of care for when that person exceeds your skill set slash ability to practice, right? Mm -hmm. Or within your your, uh, realm of what is covered as being an athletic trainer, right? Your practice act. Um, and so, and the other part of that, that I kind of didn't like and wouldn't accept is why is it okay for me to work at a physical therapy clinic, right? For a PT. And again, nothing against physical therapy. A lot of my good friends are physical therapists. I collaborate with physical therapists often. I think that's a necessary component for the growth of athletic training is to stop this bickering back and forth between professions and actually start working on ways to actually collaborate and understand that, yes, there's a lot of overlap, but there's a lot of things that we can help each other with. Um, and so kind of lost my train of thought there, but I guess I just didn't like that idea that oh, I can work for a physical therapist in this assistant type role without specific standing orders from a doctor and just working under the what prescription that each individual client or patient brings in. Like it didn't make sense. And so, and that is common practice, not even in New York, around the whole country that that is common. Um, so basically, I just started really working on, and, and you know, again, truthfully, uh, the movement underground, like I have standing orders from a physician that I work with locally. Um, do I necessarily need that? I don't know. Um, and, and that's really, that's the honest answer. I do it as like a CYA, cover your yeah. ass type of precaution to you know, and, and so the other thing that you have to understand about business is that there is no like manual therapy police. Uh, there is no athletic training police or physical therapy police where you run into issues is if you get sued. Okay. Mm -hmm. The legal ramifications of practicing outside of your, uh, practice act. Okay. And so where a lot of people need to understand is that as an athletic trainer, with standing orders, I'm able to have liability insurance for my entire business, including the people that work under me. I have liability insurance for myself as an individual provider and as a speaker slash educator. Um, so automatically I have these things in place that protect me and my business, right? The other part of that is putting things in place that if God forbid you were to get sued. And again, that's really easy not to get sued. I mean, the reason why liability insurance is so cheap for an athletic trainer is because there's just not a ton of litigation against athletic trainers. Right. Um, Is if you're being negligible, that's a problem. And truthfully, if you're being an idiot, you should get sued and you shouldn't be allowed to practice like this. If you're being, if you're not 
putting those due diligences in place. Um, but if I ever had to stand in front of a judge and show my background and my education and my, you know, continuing education that I've done over the years and the, the way that I run my business, I would be able to prove to a court that I am in fact qualified to do what I do. Um, mm -hmm. Now, let's flip that around. Your personal training, and this happens a lot because Rock Tape, we offer education, continuing education, and we don't restrict who can come to our courses. So if you're a personal trainer and you want to take blades because you want to learn about it, that's awesome. We'll let you come in. And we make the statement at the beginning of the class saying like, listen, this is not a Rock Tape thing. We're not the, the manual therapy police, but if you are not a licensed healthcare provider or you don't have a license to touch, you know, then you should not, you have to seek your own practice acts and your own, you know, whatever your state laws are for guidance on whether or not you can do this for the patient population. Right. Um, and so, you know, if you're a personal trainer, let's say, and you're doing manual therapy and you hurt somebody or you give somebody bad advice because you're not properly trained and educated, then you will go to court and you will get sued and you will lose everything. Right. Right. Um, so again, do I know that for fact? No, because it's never happened to me, or at least in my research, I have not come across that scenario. Um, so that's really it. I mean, that's kind of what I hang my hat on is I have all these insurances in place. I have standing orders in place. I don't misrepresent myself. I don't tell people I'm something else. When people sign my intake paperwork, it says, I am an athletic trainer. This is what an athletic trainer is. I help people, I have my clients declare as an athlete, whether like define themselves as an athlete, whether that's recreational fitness athlete or I play pickup basketball twice a week. You know what I mean? So like this is, it's all how you define these things. And obviously that's up to individual interpretation. It's up to legal interpretation, state interpretation, national interpretation. And so it ends up creating a lot of gray area. Um, and the scary part for a lot of athletic trainers is that they just take, what people say like, oh, you can't do that. That's illegal. They take that as doctrine, mm -hmm. right? They take that like, oh, some PT told me that it was illegal for me to do hands-on therapy, so I can't do it. Well, that's crap. There is no law, at least to my knowledge, that says you cannot do this privately and make money off of your skill set. Um, so again, I, I operate in a cash-based business too. You know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. just in terms of medical terminology, like my business is not filed as a medical or healthcare business. It's filed as a health and fitness business um, because we are in the health and wellness industry. Um, most of my clients are seeing me proactively. Most of the athletes that we work with, um, they're not necessarily coming for an injury per se. Uh, the other way that I go about that is I'm not treating a diagnosis, right? Like I'll, if you have a diagnosis from a doctor, I'll take that into consideration, but I am doing a movement evaluation, a movement assessment, and then, treating you and training you based off of movement evaluation, not off of a medical diagnosis. And yeah. that's the biggest, that is probably the biggest point to athletic trainers that they need to understand is that healthcare is defined by insurance. The way that we define healthcare and medicine is through insurance, not through healthcare. Right. Which is why yeah. this whole ICD 10 thing, when that changed over a few years ago, there was all this crazy stuff coming out all in healthcare because insurance reimbursement is really what's going to affect that the most more so than even like science, you know, mm -hmm. for better or worse. Yeah. I you definitely touched on a lot of good points there. Um, so I guess a follow-up question, you touched on a bunch of different practical ways um, for 
ATs, understanding your practice act, understanding some of these other things, especially a lot of the legal things. But um, I guess question pretty broad is any advice besides understand your practice act, understand your own skill set, any advice for anyone athletic trainer wise who might be looking into exploring the private setting side? I mean, I know you just talked about a lot of it, but any like really heavy hitters. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, this kind of goes back to the conversation that you and I had after that rock tape course, because I remember it vividly. Um, you're a young guy, you know, you just gotten out of school recently, right? Like a couple years ago. How uh, I graduate this spring, this spring. Right. So you were asking me about, I remember you were either in school or like right out of school. And what was my advice to you? Do you remember? You were asking me about oh. getting into the private sector, not to put you on the spot, but basically oh. it was like, like be patient, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. people aren't going to, and this is the other part of it that doesn't necessarily bother me that it, it, it makes me laugh a lot of times is I'll get, and I, you know, and I interact with a lot of young providers from multiple different professions. In fact, you know, part of what I love about teaching is interacting with guys like you that are just about to jump into this world and kind of like give back some of the experience that I've had in my career, which is be patient. You know, like nobody's going to pay you based on your credential. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody's going to say, Oh, Austin Fitzpatrick is an athletic trainer. Therefore I should pay him this amount of money for a session. Like you don't have any experience yet. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have any success stories, right? People will pay for results, right? Not the credential. And so I think athlete, the traditional uh, setting for athletic training gives you experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Like no other provider will mm-hmm. take a person from maybe acute on-field injury, assessment, diagnosis, potential surgical intervention, rehabilitation acutely, you know, reconditioning, strength and conditioning, all the way back to return to competition. Mm-hmm. Like name somebody else who does all of that. I'll wait. Right. right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nobody. Nobody does that. Only we do. And so that experience, you want to help people get better? You, want, you really have to be able to be a good evaluator and understand where their point A is, right? Where they are today. The other way you need to be able to get people better is you have to understand what point B is, right? So like mm-hmm. you have to know what that runner needs in terms of capacities and mobility and stability and control and all these other factors to get them to where they want to be. And so when you seg, and again, this kind of goes back to this whole thing about healthcare, healthcare being defined by insurance. The reason why we have very specific niches within medicine, you know, like if you got a foot injury, you go to a podiatrist, you got a heart condition, you go to a cardiologist, you got GI issues, you go to your internist, you got uh, a brain or neurological condition, you go to a neurologist. We segment all of this out. So everybody gets to be an expert at a very small thing and that everybody gets paid. Right. And then Mm -hmm. we set up this system so that you have to go through all these different checks to get to the right answer. Um, and nowhere in there, you know what I mean? So like it's yeah. set up to make money, not necessarily to help people. It's set up to, and this is exactly the problem that we're facing now with coronavirus. Why don't hospitals have masks? Why don't they have gloves? Why don't they have respirators? Because our capitalistic privatized healthcare model is set up to take care of the bottom line, meaning make money first. And if you're trying to make money, you don't stockpile the things you need in case of an emergency. You don't spend mm-hmm. that money on stuff you might not need, right? That's yeah. what happens. And so now we're facing this economic collapse and all of these issues because 
we don't, we aren't being proactive. We're reactive. Our healthcare system is reactive. Wait till the wheels fall off and then try to figure out what's wrong with you. Right? So my business is about being proactive. Every athlete that comes to the door gets evaluated the exact same way, regardless of what their injury is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking for different biomarkers to help them improve versus just, oh, you have biceps tendonitis. You know what I mean? Yeah. So dude, it's multifactorial, but it, when you understand the system, it, it makes it a little easier to understand where your niche is going to be as a provider in the future. Um, like going back to your, to answer your question directly, if you're a new grad and you have interest getting into the private sector, work in those traditional AT roles for a few years, cut your teeth, working with high level athletes, cut your teeth, working with high level athletic trainers and high level doctors and high level physical therapists and high level strength and conditioning coaches. Like, you know, when I was at the university of Florida, uh, the strength and conditioning coach that I worked with was, his name was Matt Delancey. Matt Delancey is probably one of the smartest strength and conditioning coaches I've ever met in my life. A B he's got more national championship rings to put on his fingers and toes. Okay. He's worked with more Olympians than he has fingers and toes. Um, gold medalists all the way down, mm-hmm. you know, and when he came to me and said, Hey, I know this isn't required, but we start lifts at 5. AM. Do you want to come down and help out? Guess what happened? I showed up at 5. AM mm-hmm. and did that work. You know what I mean? Got that experience. And that's experience now that I lean on heavily and, and is why pro athletes seek me out for treatment and training. Um, so again, I, I would say don't rush, you know, the, the traditional roles do have limitations. Yes. But the upside there, you can't get anywhere else. Um, and just understand the system. Understand what your, what your niche is. Understand what you're passionate about. You know what I mean? Like I love sports and I like training and I like these things. And so it, that's the, basically the way my business is set up. I love manual therapy. That's how my business is set up. You know, if you're really into performance art and working with dancers, then make that your niche. Work with a lot of high-level dancers and dancing coaches and skill trainers and doctors that specialize in that population, like seek those people out and learn and work with them, work under them for a number of years until you gain that experience, you know? Right. It's not something that you can just do straight out of school. And that's true of any profession, you know? And I I do see a lot of like, you know, and again, like if you look at healthcare professions like chiropractic, for example, in chiro school, you learn some business stuff because that profession has been kind of built on this model of insurance and private pay. So that's something that chiropractors are very accustomed to doing. But what do they do? They work for a big practice, lots of doctors, they get referrals from these bigger practices, and then they go out on their own after a few years. So we can take that knowledge from other professionals and and apply it to athletic training pretty seamlessly. Yeah, definitely make a lot of good points there and good advice for new grads. Damn right. Myself there. <laughs> <laughs> So I think um, just in the interest of time here, so we can sure. let you get running, we'll move over to our AT5 uh, questions that we ask everyone. So cool. uh, Greg, take it away there. Yeah. So uh, first question we have for you is where do you see athletic training going in the next uh, five to 10 years? Man, that that's a great question. Um, I definitely think, you know, <laughs> I think what's going on right now is going to change that too. You know what I mean? You're Mm -hmm. seeing right now, I've I've been reading that a few states are looking at bills to allow athletic trainers to work in hospital settings as as medical assistants slash physician extenders, states that traditionally haven't done that in the past. Um, So I think what we're facing now is going to change this significantly. 
Um, it's changing healthcare significantly right now. Even any physical medicine is being forced to go online, which is really interesting to watch. Um, I do think we'll see a, a large influx of athletic trainers jumping into the private sector. And I am proud and humbled to be somebody who is considered to be leading that charge. Um, it, and truthfully, it was never my intention to do that. Um, so I think we're going to start to see a lot more of that. We're going to start to see a lot more people jumping into the private sector, starting their own businesses, collaborating with other health healthcare providers. And I think that more than anything will help athletic training grow in terms of, um, you know, salaries and opportunities. Um, so that's at least where I would like to see it go in the next five to 10 years for sure. Sure. Awesome. Um, you kind of touched on this a little bit with one of those last questions I asked, but picture yourself just graduating school using the experience you have. What would you go back and tell yourself coming right out of school advice for yourself as a new AT? Be patient. Be patient. Period. Mm -hmm. Be patient. You know, I, I, like I said, I love this. And I think my senior year of college, I read a book now I'm blanking on the title of the book. It's really famous, like business book. And it was basically like, if you want to achieve mastery in any subject matter, 10,000 hours is the rule. And I kind of took that as like a personal challenge to amass 10,000 hours of experience as fast as I could thinking that it would get me further ahead quicker than other people. And that's not the case. Um, early in my career, didn't matter how good I was or how smart I was or what kind of results I was getting, you're looked at as your age uh, and your number of years in the field. And I really had a hard time accepting that. And what it led to was a lot of, uh, I wouldn't say friction, but it definitely created some friction. Uh, friction is probably a good word amongst myself and some of the people that were above me. Um, and so that definitely changed my career trajectory and started that whole thing of being really frustrated and um, kind of lost a lot of faith in athletic training as a profession, honestly. Um, and so be patient. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. You are going to have to struggle. And that struggle is what's going to make you better in the future and set you up for the things that you're really meant to do. And so embrace it. You know, embrace those moments in the trenches. Embrace the suck. You know, embrace those early mornings, those late nights, those filling up water coolers and doing all that dirty work because the opportunity to work with athletes at a high level and doctors and other providers and see the whole thing unfold is just invaluable. Um, so yeah, that would be my number one advice. Awesome. So um, we, we kind of know you've delved into quite a few different branches here of athletic training and even kind of created your own as well. Um, but what would you say has been the most influential resource that you have found um, kind of throughout your career so far? Oh man, that's, it's so hard to say, man. There's so many things. Um, you know, I kind of believe in this, the Bruce Lee method, which is take what you value and adapt it, take what you don't like and get rid of it and make it uniquely your own. Um, and mm -hmm. so the movement underground, the way I practice is a conglomeration of lots of different systems, um, that I've melded together in the way that I saw fit. Um, so Geez, I mean, early in my career, I was so into manual therapy. So I was just really digging into anything manual therapy related I can get my hands on. That's what I was digesting. Then I got really into like fascial anatomy. Then I got really into, you know, strength and conditioning and corrective exercise. Then I got really into, now I'm really into like neuroscience and, you know, the science of touch and just the science of perception and, 
you know, spirituality and mindset and like all these other things, breathing um, that I've also melded in. So I don't know if I have one resource for you. Um, I really like business stuff. You know, I read a lot mm -hmm. of business books and business resources. Um, here's what I will say is you guys have an opportunity that I didn't have when I was younger, which was when I came out of school, you know, YouTube was a thing. Facebook was a thing, but like we didn't have social media and like the expanse of education that's available. So what I would say is, what are you the most interested in or, and, or what gaps do you see in your skill set? And then go seek that information and don't just seek it from one source, seek it from multiple sources. Cause the answer you get largely depends on, you know, the, the perspective that you're looking at it through. So um, whatever tickles your fancy, whatever's related to your niche or what your ultimate career goals are, I would say digest that information, but seek understanding, not just, let me just get this knowledge. You really have to understand the core concepts and like the fundamentals and be savagely good at basics before you can really apply that in, in, in a more um, integrated and like robust way. Right. Awesome. All right. This one's kind of a fun one here. If you could change or eliminate one thing in athletic training, whether it be a modality, whether it be common practice or a mindset, what would it be? Right. Oh, um, there's so many there, man. Um, <laughs> if I had to change anything, I, I would change this idea that athletic trainers as a whole have of like this subservient attitude, you know, meaning like you just serve other providers, I think is a mindset that is built into us in our didactic education, um, which I think needs to go. Um, clinically, I think ice and stem needs to go, you know, like these really passive modalities and you could call manual therapy a passive modality. Um, but it's more active in the physiological reasons why it is effective. Um, and right. so, or at least there's more action between the clinician and the, and the person, right. Where you're actually connecting with that person, both physically, mentally, emotionally, um, and you build that foundation of trust. And that's what it takes to really get people to sustainably make these changes that will ultimately get them better. Um, but like when you just slap ice and stem on somebody and walk away, you, you do, you know, you slap, you know, auto ultrasound on somebody and walk away or, uh, you know, I think that needs to be less of what we do as athletic trainers. Um, and again, it's built into the system. Why do athletic trainers do that as a primary intervention? Cause we don't have time to do anything else, right? Mm -hmm. You need, you know, you got a team coming in for treatment. Everybody gets ice and stem because it's something that you can reproduce very quickly and give everybody that perceived value of getting some treatment. But if we just were a little bit more proactive and um, utilize our knowledge base a little bit better, I think we could, we could probably do a better job. Sure. All right. So our last uh, AT chat five question for you. What does being an, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Um, you know, this has changed over the years, you know, like I said, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, like, from 2012 to 2017, I was not an NATA member. Um, I let it lapse. I didn't see, especially at the time, I was like, I don't have 200 bucks at the end of the year to spend on this. And I didn't see any return on that investment at all. I disagree with a lot. Of, I disagreed and still disagree with some of what the approach from the top down is in terms of policy and progressing this profession. I, I think we're still going about it the wrong way. 
Um, so that was kind of my civil disobedience, right? Was to just not pay dues and not be an active participant in that. And I changed that. You know, I, mm-hmm. when I took my job with Rock Tape and I went to that NATA conference, um, the first one that I went to with Rock Tape was, where the hell was it? It was in um, New Orleans a few years ago. And uh, so many athletic trainers coming up to me like that had either seen my content or were thanking me for my content or like all of that stuff. Like it blew me away. Um, and since then, so what does athletic training mean, mean to me now? It means opportunity. It means, it means being able to influence a, an unbelievable group of people who, again, you don't get into athletic training to become rich. I don't think anybody that gets through a four-year program, um, you know, like I'm sure it's been the same for you guys where you start with a bunch of people and then over the years it just drops off to like that core group your senior year where you have like five to ten like OGs that stuck through it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think any of those five to 10 people expect to make a lot of money doing this. I think that needs to change. Um, I think that can change. And my, where I see myself and, and my value and what athletic training means to me is taking those five to 10 people and turning them into clinical dynamos. Um, so, which is why I really love education. Um, and, and being able to, I, I just never knew that my content would resonate in that way. And so for me now, it means opportunity. It means we have a skill set that people are looking for that are, that this, that this species needs desperately as we become more sedentary, people move less and we need more movement providers to stem that tide and keep people healthy. Um, and so I think there's a lot of upside if we can just refocus on what's important. Um, you know, I mean, I still see campaigns for it's athletic trainer, not trainer. Like we're still barking up that tree. Like who gives a damn about that? Really? Like, I don't care what you call me. You know, you can call me anything you want. Call me Mike, you know, that's who I am, but people will pay me not because I'm an athletic trainer. They pay me because I get them results. And so that's it, man. I think it's, I think there's a lot of upside that we're not talking about in this community. Um, and we're starting to get there. You know, I think social media is really bridging these gaps for us and doing stuff like this and getting out and talking to more young guys like yourselves and showing you that it can be done. It's not easy, but it can be done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that's the last question we have for you. Is there anything else in closing that you want to share? Um, we have all your social media stuff here, so we'll throw those up. Um, I guess what's the best way for people to reach you? Instagram, Twitter. Both. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm really active on Instagram. Um, so you can always DM me. I, I answer every message, every comment. That's like a, like a personal mission is to, if you reached out to me, I'm going to answer you. It might take me a little bit, but I'm going to answer. Um, so Instagram is a great way to reach out. You can obviously go to my web. I have a couple of websites. I have MikeStellaMovement.com, which is my kind of my personal brand site and so there's some movement underground stuff on there there's the podcast is on there my rock tape teaching tour is on there um you know rock tape is now doing virtual webcasts so like this weekend coming up i'm teaching uh pods and floss which is our cupping certification i'm teaching that virtually via a webcast and right now we're doing like 50 percent off those education courses so and we'll be doing webcasts for the foreseeable future so if you want to if you're a young athletic trainer and you want to jam with me and you can, it doesn't matter where you are in the country right now, you can hop on zoom and, and I can teach you from the movement underground. Um, 
then I have the movingunderground.com, which is obviously my business page. You know, that's a little bit more client facing, but you can certainly go there and reach out to me through that website. Um, you know, I have, you guys can text me. If you want to text me, my number is 631-270-4327. Like text me if you want. Um, so that's like my business line, but I get it on my phone. So you guys, it's a direct line to me. If you want to text me something more than happy to interact with you that way as well. Um, any way you want, like I, you know, for me, I'm available on most online platforms. Um, you know, obviously we're getting our own podcast started up the moving underground radio. So that I'm really excited about that project and bringing on a lot mm -hmm. of, you know, different therapists from many different, you know, backgrounds, different trainers from different backgrounds. Obviously a lot of my pro athletes and athletes that I work with will be on. Um, so it should be a lot of fun and a little bit different, you know, digging a little deeper behind these athletes than just like what they do for rehab and training. Um, but yeah, anyway, you guys want to reach out to me that way would be awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we throw links up for everything you just mentioned on the, the cool. uh, episode sheet there. Um, I think that's yeah. all we have for you. So thank you for your time. Uh, I was gonna say, I got, I got one more thing for you, Mike. Um, sure. I, we kind of skipped over this part. I don't mean to throw some more questions at you, but no, absolutely. Dude, um, I got nothing but time these days. <laughs> I know Austin and I both kind of, um, I guess met you in a way through rock tape. So right. what would be, um, kind of just your favorite part about being able to teach some of those courses? The people, the people rock tape, is just an incredible group of people. Um, and they're the family I choose. Um, they embrace me from day one. I'm only the third athletic trainer rock tapes ever hired. Um, and they hired me because they really saw the athletic training community as something that was important for the company's growth, but also uh, just a, a group, a niche of healthcare providers that they were having a hard time getting in front of. Um, and so that's kind of why I was brought on. Um, but the people that I've met, they're just such a, uh, you know, they don't look at the credential at all. You know what I mean? So like, I'm going to, you know, we do our instructor summit once a year and I'm in a group of like absolute rock stars in terms of like clinical practice, business practice, you know, social media presences, like some of these people that are just such heavy hitters in our industry. Um, and they, we all are on an even playing field. Um, and to me, that is exactly what I want my business to embody. Um, I have a massage therapist that works for me, Anthony Pranzo, bringing in a PT hopefully this summer to start like an insurance model here. And like, I want this to be multidisciplinary. I don't think any one profession has it figured out. Um, and so that resonated with me in a huge level. I took a rock tape course in 2013, was my first one, and it blew me away. Just the, the quality of the content, you know, the message, the the concepts. Um, and it really, to teach it now is, is just like a dream come true. And I remember five, you know, I remember in 2013 sitting in that class, it was Dr. Perry Nicholson, stop chasing pain was teaching it. And he blew my mind. And I was like, man, man I really wish I could do this one day. And it was like very serendipitous five years later, boom, I'm teaching for Octate. So who knows, you know, uh, you never know if you're putting up content, you never know who's going to see it. You never know who, who it's going to resonate with. You never know what kind of connection you can make from that. Um, and that's the best part about social media. I, I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's kind of like a tube of toothpaste. Once you put it out there, it's really hard to put it back. Um, so, you know, you got to be careful and really make sure that you're, you're, and again, that doesn't mean like you can't evolve. Like I'm doing things a lot differently now than I did five years ago. So 
that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, the rock tape team, it's the people, you know, are just such amazing and they're so supportive. Like these crazy ideas and dreams that I've had over the last few years, like rock tapes, like, how can we help? What can we do to support that? Like, can we make that come true? And it, without any question of why or how or nothing, it's just uh, blind and unconditional support. And so that's the best part. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, that's definitely awesome. I'm a huge fan of rock tape. Like you said, those virtual courses, I signed, just signed up for one of the virtual ones. The, uh, oh, yeah? Who are you taking? I'm doing the movement specialist one. Oh, online. that's Capo. So yeah. that's Steve Capobianco, who's our medical director. He yeah, wrote the course. He wrote all the rock tape courses that you guys take. He's the author. So that'll be really cool, man. Capo is the best. You know, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life, but he's so humble. Um, and so that's really awesome. Yeah. You'll, so you'll love it. It's a, really, it's a really cool course. Yeah, definitely looking, looking forward to that one. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. It was great talking to you again. Yeah, great uh, talking to you guys. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Yeah. You're most welcome. Anytime. Well, all right. See you later. Take it easy, guys.